Hey guys, it's Woj. And during this time of social isolation, without any games to watch, ESPN Podcast is still posting a lot of great new content from all of your favorite shows. In fact, last week there were new episodes of the ESPN Daily, The Low Post, The Hoop Collective, the SVP Pod, Ariel Hawani's MMA show, Baseball Tonight, and a lot more. You can listen to all these and more wherever you get your podcasts. Scott's Turf Builder Triple Action has acquired the secret to building a thicker, greener lawn. In return, they have taken all of the hard work out of the picture to give you more time to do nothing extra. People don't realize that it's easy to get the lawn of their dreams by simply feeding their lawn a few times throughout the year. Scott's Turf Builder Triple Action kills weeds, prevents crabgrass, and feeds to build thick, green lawns. With Scott's Turf Builder Triple Action, you can finally get the lawn you've always dreamt of. Scott's Turf Builder Triple Action will give your yard the nourishment it needs to help your weak, thin lawn recover. When you feed with Scott's Turf Builder Triple Action multiple times throughout the year, your grass will be greener, stronger, and more resilient. Pick up a bag today. This is a Scott's Yard. Also, Scott's No Quibble Money Back Guarantee states, if you're not satisfied, you get your money back. This is a Scott's Yard. Welcome into Tom Biaszewski. He is an assistant coach with Olympia Milano in Milan, Italy. Tom works for the great Ettore Messina with that club after, I guess, about a decade in the NBA. Tom, how are you today? I'm good. All things considered, uh, I'm healthy, the family's healthy, and that's that's what matters most. Good. I'm glad, uh, certainly glad to hear that. Tom, tell me right now, living in Milan, having gone over there to coach this season, tell me where your family is. Tell me what your days are like right now, and obviously the teeth of the, the coronavirus uh, in Italy. Yeah, no, we're, we're basically, we're practicing the social distancing to a T. I guess you would say my I'm here with my wife and my my two year old and my four year old. So, you know, we're in Milan. Um, I think one of the big probably misconceptions we've gotten a lot of people concerned from home is you know Milan Lombardy is the region that Milan is in. Milan itself hasn't been hit that hard yet, um, especially the city central from from everything that we know. So, we've kind of skirted it a little bit so far before probably hopefully all these measures that have been put in place will you know, keep that, um, from happening, but it's, you know, it's, we're in the, in the place all day trying to stay active, stay busy, um, keep the kids busy and really trying to just get creative, uh, from day to day to to try and, you know, just pass the time here. You know, it's inconvenient, but we're putting safety, um, over inconvenience at this point and just trying to be diligent about it and be respectful of the situation and, and just try to see this through. Tom, how has Italy as a country, as a people, responded to the outbreak? What have you seen in your time there since they shut your season down? I guess two, three weeks ago, they shut uh, Olympia's team down and, and, and the season down, right? Yeah. I mean, it's been – I feel like Italy was pretty proactive even when we were playing in January, end of January, early February, when we would co-off a EuroLeague game and we'd come in, they were doing temperature checks even back then. So at the airport, so they were, they, I thought they were pretty proactive 
And, you know, in, in terms of now, I think it's been more of a rolling, they've rolled it out in terms of it's gotten more restrictive. I think they, they really clamped down on the two regions or the, the few regions that got hit hard, like the, the, the towns or villages or, or cities in, where this really started here. And it's gotten progressively um, more restrictive and in terms of as it's grown um, or spread, I should say. And so I think they're, they've done a pretty good job in trying to keep this under wraps. Uh, you mentioned our season was shut down. You know, the Italians are, we play in the Italian league and the Euro league. The Italian league was shut down real quickly um, because it involved, most of the teams are in Northern Italy where this was affected. Um, and then the Euro league then, then thereafter. So there has been travel restrictions and, and, and whatnot. And it's gotten more, um, I guess, progressive to the fact that now the only things that are open are supermarkets, um, pharmacies, and things of that nature, everything else, you're basically, you're told to stay indoors. What's been, Tom, the spirit of the people, maybe the spirit of cooperation of we've got to listen to this? Did it come easily in Italy or has it, did it take time for people to understand the severity of it? What What, what was your sense of that? I think it, it, it they, they, they got around it really quickly because it, it hit here, hit here quickly and hard. And so I think it's, it's a lot different than if it was more of a gradual. And so, especially in our region, which it's not, like I said, it, it wasn't next in Milan, but it was close enough where people who work in those regions, work in, or live in those regions, work in Milan and people know people. So I think there was a, there was an appreciation for it off the bat. And when they put the measures in place, you could definitely see the, the traffic flow, you know, uh, go down the the people out and about go down is and each of them it seems like it's been re- respected very well even i went to the supermarket the other day and the people were very orderly in terms of staying probably six feet six feet away from each other in line and you know only letting so many people in at a time so it seemed like everyone has taken this seriously here tom describe where you and Keitha and the kids live. Uh, people have seen, I think, here in the states or wherever else people might be listening to the podcast. They've, you know, they've seen in some Italian cities the balconies and people singing. And has that been your experience? Is it the way in which, especially I guess when the weather was warmer, uh, that people have responded to the, the isolation and 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 the one way people have been able to connect um, with each other? Yeah, no, it, it definitely has happened here. We live in a, a, a condo complex that has six different buildings, um, all in a circle, circle with a big courtyard in the middle, and they all have balconies um, f- facing inside um, at the courtyard. So about 6 p.m. each day, we've seen that, uh, uh, aside from like maybe like the last two days when the temperature dropped from being in the high 50s, 60s, probably the last you know, 10 days prior to that to being in the forties yesterday. Uh, but yeah, you'll see the national anthem played and you'll see a bunch of Italian flags and people out there taking pictures, you know, drinking a glass of wine, kind of cheersing each other and whatnot. And, you know, obviously there's, this is a very passionate, um, country and, and very, um, you know, communal in terms of that. And it's, it was almost reminiscent of what we would see when the national anthem would play at our games, when, everyone would get into it and obviously on a much smaller scale, but yeah, I definitely saw that. It's almost like a big sense of camaraderie and a community here. Uh, Tom, what led to your decision? Um, I mentioned earlier, 
you had been in the NBA. You had been most recently with the Jazz, with the Utah Jazz as uh, a scout for them. You had been an assistant with the Lakers. I uh, worked with the Kings. I think you started with the Cleveland Cavaliers. I don't know if I'm missing a team there. No, that's it. Uh, that's and then it. I did the NBA Academy as well in between and, them all. That's right. You did the NBA Academy in uh, – in, uh, where did you go? Australia. In Australia. Australia. In Australia. Yeah. 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 Two weeks um, on, two weeks off to Australia for, yeah. for 18 months. <laughs> you still got plenty of freaking flyer miles from that, don't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We burned through them pr- pretty quickly, though, getting over here and whatnot and probably getting back at some point. But, yes, it, it, that's a definite side effect. What What led you to Italy to go coach with Messina? Well, primarily it was Ettore. Uh, You know, that's the reason I'm over here was my relationship with him, my, you know, my admiration for him and, and whatnot. And so once you – took that opportunity was really twofold. It was a, a professional and personal, you know, it was a chance professionally a chance to broaden my horizons and get a different perspective an opportunity to stretch myself, you know, put myself in an uncomfortable situation, something that was different and a way to learn. Cause I studied the European game for a while. Cause you know, working with Ettore in, in LA, but then also when Quinn left to go with him, but also having Powell on the team. So I was kind of, always interested in it and tried to study it, but it's a whole different, um, you know, ball game when you're, when you're immersed in it and doing it day to day. So I just thought it was a different perspective and it was a way to just kind of learn and appreciate things. And then from personally, it was a life experience for my family and myself and a way for me and my wife to, um, experience a different country and a different culture, a place we had visited multiple times that we, we loved. My wife is Italian, but also for the kids, uh, the kids was a big thing. We wanted them to have an opportunity to potentially learn a different language. Um, to now they might not remember this, but they'll always know that we were here mm-hmm. at some point. So maybe that, you know, breaks down some barriers to them, whether it's true future travel or, you know, uh, study abroad programs or what it may be, but maybe just gives them a, where they don't have that restriction in their mind that, okay, Italy or Europe is that far away. It's not because you've lived there and, you know, and, like you mentioned, I'd work in Australia. So just that different perspective for them too, just to, to try and I think it was for the, for the kids too, off the court, it was, it was a major factor. And, and the season until, until they had closed the doors on your season there, what had been the experience of coaching in the Italian league, in the Euro league, the level of play and, you know, the kind of coaching talent that is there. Um, what, what was that like for a coach? It was great. It's a, it's been great learning because this is probably more of an you know, NBA is a players league. This is probably more of a coaches league. Obviously you need, um, players as well, but it's more tactical over here. So there's way more adjustments. Um, it's almost has like a, a football mindset in terms of how you go into prepping for each game because you have a few days generally and you can really have a game plan. Instead of just having what you what you do or what you are in the NBA, which if you're playing three four games a week, that might not be pro- possible. So there a lot goes into the game planning, the game prep. How do you steal a possession here and there because it's only a forty minute game, and so you steal a possession or two by either throwing something at them that they're not used to or or changing your coverages more than not, um, and that that's a big deal. So it's it's way more tactical in that, and it's really caused you know, myself to, to think of the game in a completely different way. Guys, five hour energy shots are portable and effective at giving you the alert energized feeling you need to get work done 
even if you are working from home, because that couch can be a little too inconvenient. Five-hour energy shots help you get through your day with zero sugar, four calories, and a convenient portable size. It's the perfect pick-me-up for busy, hardworking people, even if you're working from home. It also comes in two great extra-strength tropical tastes, strawberry banana and tropical burst. They're delicious, and they can take you on a tropical Get Stuff Done experience. Try them both, then go online to shop the number 5, OurEnergy.com, and use the code WOJ to receive a one-time offer of 10% off your order. So go to Shop5OurEnergy.com and use the code WOJ to receive a one-time offer of 10% off. 5-Hour Energy, energy on the go. Tom, you, you mentioned your time with uh, Ed Array with the Lakers, and you were on the staff. You mentioned Quinn Snyder, who was also on that staff. And actually, let's see, uh, Ed Array and Quinn left together and went to Seska in yep. Russia off of uh, Mike Brown's staff. And then Quinn came back to the NBA in Atlanta and then is an assistant, right, and then became a head coach in Utah. And Ed Array came back uh, with the Spurs eventually as an assistant before he went back over with Milano, but that coaching staff, um, I I imagine you look back at that time in LA, uh, number one, that was really with Mike D'Antoni as the head coach, you know, three elite level head coaches among Quinn, Ederay, and obviously Mike D'Antoni. And and at the time, uh, Tom, you got to work really closely with Kobe Bryant. I know you did a lot of the one-on-one with him, a lot of the individual stuff. And, uh, that had to be a pretty remarkable time in your coaching career in terms of just growth, learning, being around all those guys, and, and then obviously the the proximity and the relationship you built with Kobe. Yeah, well, to talk about the first thing you mentioned, I mean, it was a stressful time because we had moved to L.A. and um, did the first year with Mike Brown. Mike had brought me in during that lockout year, actually three games into the season, but also then, you know, it was fired five games into the next year. And so – I had the three head coaches there, um, had opportunity to work for them, you know, which is stressful, but really in that time, like, as you mentioned, there was really four different assistant coaching staffs. And so I got to work with Ederay and Quinn that first year, along with Darvin Ham, who, who's a good friend as well. And then Cliff comes, Steve Clifford comes in the following year. And so it was, it was great to work with those guys and to, to, to be able to, um, build those relationships and and kind of ask them about things where they have come from and and all these guys are lifelong friends of mine too since then and have really played a role in in my development my growth so that yes 100 percent. and even going back to to my Cavs days you know I, I started as an intern in the Cavs and my, I was a video intern paired up with Michael Malone and so like that just I've I've been fortunate enough to have I haven't been many places with one coach for a long period of time. Um, although I was in LA for five years, like I said, three different head coaches, but I've been lucky to been exposed to um, some great high level assistants who have gone on to do some things in their own right. And then, you know, you mentioned the opportunity um, about Kobe. I mean, that's, that was just tremendous uh, to be able to be there with him, experience um, what I did, but also for him to let me in and for him to, to gain that relationship and that trust and to just, you know, develop that friendship over time where we could have basketball discussions because at the end of the day, no matter how much I studied, I never had the game from his perspective as a guy on the floor, as an ex, as me, as an 
a non-player, but also for him as an elite level player and to kind of see what he was doing. You know, one of the things we would do is at halftime, my first couple of years when I was really in the back doing the video is we would spend halftime watching all his assists, turnovers and shots from the first half at halftime. And now I felt that was the first way he tested me um, was to ask me how he wanted to try and do that. So, and this is before all the iPads and stuff were in vogue. So it was, it was great. But what it did is then it slowly those, instead of it just being showing him and watching him the clips, it became more of a conversation. What do you see? And why'd you do that? And, and it was tremendous for me. And like you said, you use the word growth. And I mean, you talk about the coaches I work for, for and with, but also that relationship with him. Uh, growth is, is the biggest word I use uh, to go along with that as well. What, what is it like the first time Kobe says to you, wants your analysis, your evaluation? First time he says to you, hey, what did you see there? What, what like, do you get a pit in your stomach before you answer it? I think somewhat, um, I, but I also think if you're confident, well, the biggest thing he didn't want is is he wanted he didn't want yes men around him, and he he wanted people who, you know, had a conviction about their thoughts and who had an opinion and that didn't just you know, I mean, kiss his ass so to speak and tell him what he wanted to hear, and I think he really respected that. Whether it been the players that that came in there that you know didn't look up to him as oh my god it's Kobe Bryant the way they went after him in practice every day but that competed with him so yeah you get a pit in your stomach but then you but then you realize that hey this is my opinion it doesn't have to be right you know and, and he doesn't have to agree with it and it can still be right or vice versa and, and whatnot so it's just it's a conversation and and you know those conversations evolved into you know whether banter or good-natured arguments about things and see and you know and where he would come back you know two, three weeks later, I told you about that, or I would do the same. So it, it just was a way to just converse and just to, to really just, it was a great basketball relationship. Tom, how did Kobe sort of calibrate, synthesize information when, when, he, when you brought him information, when he gathered at other places, how did he, did he process it differently than other players? Yeah. I mean, for one, he would, he would, he never really I guess he wouldn't say like he didn't have an answer right away. It was almost like he took a he did like a head nod where he processed what you were saying to him or what you brought him or what he read and then he would give you his his analysis on it. So it wasn't like no he was very strong-willed obviously and 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 had had opinions but it wasn't just where he just um kind of would just cast it off to the side because it didn't come from him. He would give it some thought, you know, a moment of thought before he responded to anything. And, um, I thought that was pretty neat. Um, whether like, cause I didn't just, just see it with myself, but whether other players or coaches or people, like you said, wherever the information came from. So yeah, he took a moment, assessed it and and then, you know, either gave you his thought on it or, oh yeah, that could work, but this not, or, or this is why it wouldn't work. Uh, so yeah, there was, there was definitely a thought process there that went into everything he did. What, what would happen if Kobe did not have respect for a coach or for his feeling about their preparation or a teammate, if he didn't respect you, what was life like for you? Well, luckily I wasn't on that end of the curve, but I did um, see um, that happen with some people. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't be, he didn't necessarily make life hard, but he didn't make life easy at the same time. Um, Whereas I think it was, it would be well known that if you weren't, you know, up to the task, whether competitively as a player, best by Q as a coach or your preparation. I mean, I think if you, even if you weren't, 
I think if you were prepared and even if he didn't like what you had to say or agree with it, he respected that you put the time in. I think it was the people that didn't put the time in that he didn't have the respect for. And because I, I mean, because he worked, he worked his tail off. I, that was the biggest shock for me when I got there. I thought a lot of the 6 a.m. workouts and all this kind of stuff that you read about from afar were just kind of like media stuff that was put out there to, you know, as a, to, to build up his aura and whatnot. But this, it wasn't the case. I mean, he expected people to work as hard as he did. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. When he would want you to meet to work or to get in the gym, what would that be like? What time would it be? Where would you go? How much notice would you get to, hey, show up at a gym? I, I, I want to get some some uh, shots up or get some work in. Uh, I think the, the more spur of the moment stuff happened when we were on the road. Um, it could be uh, – I remember my first year there, he was coming off an injury, and we ended up – we landed in um, – in San Francisco and we went straight to university of San Francisco and it was a back to back. So we, we got in the gym at like one o'clock in the morning. Um, and I remember doing that in San Antonio too. At one point we went to some, some place in the middle of nowhere. Uh, so it wasn't so much spur of the moment stuff. Like, uh, and if it was at home, it was generally 6am. Hey, I'm going to beat you. Uh, we'll meet you there at 6am. And the funny thing is if, if he was coming in at 6 a.m., you knew you weren't really needed to 6.15 because he had this whole footwork routine that he would go through without the ball before he needed a passer or a rebound or anything like that. So it was, it was really fascinating to see that approach, you know, on, and especially, I mean, at that point, well, she had had 15 plus years in, had won the titles and the MVP, but it was still there. That commitment was still there. The perfect hire can have an impact on your business for years to come. So when you need to find that person to help grow your business, LinkedIn Jobs will match the right talent with your open role and fast. LinkedIn has over 675 million members worldwide. LinkedIn Jobs screen candidates with the hard and soft skills you're looking for so you can hire the right person fast. Things like collaboration, creativity, adaptability, LinkedIn looks beyond the work skills and put your job post in front of qualified candidates who match your business requirements perfectly. That's how LinkedIn makes sure your job post is seen by the people you want to hire, people with the skills, qualifications, and other interests that will help your business grow. It's no wonder a person is hired every eight seconds with LinkedIn and why companies rated LinkedIn Jobs the number one hiring platform for delivering quality hires. Find the right person for your business today with LinkedIn Jobs. You can pay what you want and get the first $50 off. Visit linkedin.com slash Woj. Again, that's linkedin.com slash Woj to get $50 off your first job post. Terms and conditions apply. Tom, what do you remember about the night he tore his Achilles? Oh, that, that's one of those things that, you know, because we had started playing really well there down the stretch. It started to click there with, with him, Powell, uh, Dwight to a degree, and, and, and Steve. Um, but we, we were playing well, and I remember it. he went down, and I remember, as I'm sure you've been into the, the locker room uh, in Staples, you have that, um, that, that first door on the left, and you walk in as the video room. So a lot of times during the game, it's open. The, the, the door is open. So I remember, you know, he, he did it. And obviously 
I was still in the, still in the back back then, but, um, I remember distinctly hearing, uh, Gary Vitti's voice as he was walking down the corridor into the locker room telling someone to see Achilles. And I remember my heart sank because it was okay. That's terrible. Obviously, yeah, our season, you know, we we're, we we're scratching and clawing, but we were peaking at the right time. Uh, but then also too, to go in the training room after, after the game and just see him laying in the training room with his girls and his wife on him in, you know, just in, you know, despondent and probably didn't know whether that was the end of his career. Like that was the first time I'd ever seen him vulnerable. You and Ederay had, he had a great deal of respect. I know how he felt about you, Tom, and I know how he felt about Ederay. And there were different times when the Laker job, head job opened. He was, a, he Ederay in his mind was a, a coach that was right at the top of his list. And I think he loved that he could speak Italian with Ed Array. I think he enjoyed mm-hmm. that part of it. And, and certainly he, he had great respect for Ed Array's uh, acumen, his coaching ability. Where were you two when you found out that the helicopter had crashed, that Kobe and Gia were on it? Were you together? Was it, I'm thinking time of the day, it was probably late afternoon for you guys in Italy. No, I see. This is the first time I've talked about this. I'm just getting chills with you mentioning it. We were, um, we were in Trieste, um, played a road game, and it was in the evening, actually. It, we we rolled up to the airport, and we had stopped. Ederay had to address the team to let them know that we signed a new player that would be um, at the facility at our next practice. And then all of, everyone turned to me and said, take your, you know, they're trying to get my attention. And it was probably about 10 o'clock at night, maybe, 9.30, 10, and um, – they said, hey, Kobe. And I was like, what? And my brother-in-law was FaceTiming me at the same time. And I, I just couldn't because there was so much stuff going on um, on the bus. And I got off the, and they were like, yeah, Kobe died and Kobe helicopter. And, I, you know, obviously, first thing you hope is it's not true. And then you're just trying to gain information and, you know, talking to your wife and, and whatnot. And um, no, it was crazy. And then, you know, to to learn about that, about someone who meant a lot to you, but also then to then just having to get on a flight yourself and get into, you know, an aviation after just hearing about an aviation disaster, uh, it was not the most welcoming thing to do. Um, but it, yeah, that's, that's something again, that was, that was not easy. Uh, the impact of Kobe's death was certainly felt all over the world. Did you especially feel it in Italy because he had grown up there that there was a special kinship between that country and, and Kobe Bryant, I think they always considered him one of one of their own in a lot of ways. What? How did? How was it felt there? Oh, 100 percent. Um, well, one thing that I didn't even know to know until after um, this happened is he used to own the team that I work for. He used to own part of Olympia Milano at one point, um, maybe a 10, 10 or so years ago. Uh, so, yeah, no, the outpouring of support here was tremendous, as, as I'm sure it was worldwide. I mean, I had been to China with him. We played a preseason game, so obviously I know how revered he was over there. But to see how much it affected the players here, but also the fans, um, you know, the moments of silences here. We did one in the Euro League and the Italian League um, were, you know, powerful. And you saw the 24 jerseys everywhere. We actually, um, I know the NBA had been talking about doing the midseason cups. Well, we were actually going into our midseason cup about a week later, the Italian Cup. And um, I believe someone in our, our, our management had reached out to, to the Lakers to ask for our, the permission to basically wear purple and gold for the cup mm. for that. And we did where they were all, you know, and then um, 
with his jersey numbers on him. And so it was, it was a huge sign of respect over here um, for him and for what he did to basketball and for what he meant to this country because he, he, they view him as one of his own from what, you know, everything I've experienced over here and rightfully so. He came back a lot. Um, I know he spent a lot of time here um, in his summers. I know his, his, his youngest daughter, you know, his name, Capri, um, he actually had sent my wife and I there on our honeymoon um ironically uh so he, I, he um he was one with this country i felt like especially he spoke the language and and to hear people talk about him here that interacted with him as he would come through here and he would just be um he would just be a normal person who spoke italian and kind of just fit right in you know the two two things one and i want to get to your honeymoon in a minute i was thinking about this the other day when we connected about uh you jumping on the pod and you know with the connection to Italy and what's going on there now and the messaging that's needed in this country about taking social distancing seriously, taking all of this as what it is, a life and death proposition, Kobe would have been, I I imagine right now Kobe would have been in the forefront of, uh, especially because it would have hit home to him that this, what Italy was going through and then understanding what Americans needed to do, I would have bet that Kobe would have been at the forefront of talking to people right now and, and getting people to understand what needed to be done. And I don't think there would have been any more forceful, impactful spokesman for what needs to go on in this country and, and, and what's happening there than, uh, than Kobe would have. Yeah, no, one thing I think you, you know about him is, um, is he, he understood the power of his voice. And I think, you know, it, in, in certain situations, he would use it. And, you know, when it, when he felt it was necessary. And I think even more so probably, um, in later in his career, uh, where I think, I, I can't remember if it was your, your podcast or if it was Zach Lowe's podcast where, uh, Procopio was on with one of you guys. And he had used the, um, the, the phrase that Kobe was starting to become human. Well, yeah, yeah. you know, that, that, that's true. Those of us who knew him knew him as a human. And those of us who, or, or others who didn't just saw the, you know, the mystique of the black mama, but he was a human. And I think social issues, health issues, anything like that. I, I mean, anything that compassion, yeah, he, I agree. He would have been at the forefront of it. I mean, people always ask me, what's like the best memories you have of him. I mean, I always go back to like what he would do with the um, uh, special Olympics or the make a wish kids that would come through our, mm-hmm. that, that impact. And it was nothing on the floor, but he just knew what he meant to those and just what he, the, the, smiles he could put on their face or or whatnot or so yeah i don't i think you see it in the messaging that he was starting to do with um you know his his podcasts his children's books you know where they were all positive messaging so in terms of what he would have done in this and especially with the areas and location here that like you mentioned geographically that were hit i think 100 percent he would have been a voice in this situation tama how when kobe found out you were getting married you were going uh, you were planning a honeymoon to Italy. What, what, what happened next with him and you? Oh man, I remember we were in Toronto and I'm like, Hey, I think we're going to go to Europe. And he goes, no, you're going to Italy. If you're going and you're going. And he basically said, you got to go to these places. Da, 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 and he lists them all off. I'd never been. It was the first time I'd traveled outside of North America before growing up in the Buffalo area. Toronto was the extent of my, 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 uh, international travel to that point. Um, so he, he just went through it. He said, yeah, you go to this restaurant here, you go to this. And 
ironically, our first point of entry in, in, in Italy was Milan. And we got to our hotel and I had had some, um, I had had correspondences while we were planning the trip with uh, his uh, personal assistant. And there was this tour person waiting for us at, at the, at the hotel in Milan and restaurants and recommendations and restaurant reservations in Milan and Florence, and then also other places that he had. So, yeah, I mean, that's the type of stuff that, you know, I think most people didn't understand um, or didn't see the genuine, you know, like he cared, you know, there was people he was close with and, and he cared and, and appreciated them and, and looked out for them. And so, yeah, he definitely made that experience, you know, better. And that's one of the things that when we took the job over here, definitely reached out to him to let him know like, Hey, we're going to Milan. And, and I know one of his favorite restaurants was here and I was there I probably about a month before the accident that we were at the restaurant and I took a picture of the menu and I, you know, I sent him an email, the, the, the picture of the menu, um, because we, he tried to set us up for it on the honeymoon, but when we came on the honeymoon, we were in that first couple of weeks of August where everything in Milan pretty much shuts down. So we weren't able to go there. So, but it always, I always remembered that he had said, you have to go to this place. You have to go to this place. And now it's one of our favorite restaurants uh, here in Milan as well. Tom, uh, thank you for doing this. Uh, good health to you, Keitha, the kids and, um, I know you'll, uh, you know, you get through this in Italy and, and I know you'll be back here. You'll be back on the beach somewhere in California, hopefully sooner, <laughs> sooner than later. But uh, thanks for taking time, and um, we'll connect soon, man. I really appreciate it. Stay safe over there, and good luck with everything.